Are you listening? Stai ascoltando? Voi slusciate? The Global Voices Podcast. The world is talking. Are you listening? Hello, world. Welcome to another edition of the Global Voices Podcast. I'm your audio friend, Jamila. In this edition, you'll hear about the blind Greek bloggers who are creating their own space for innovation, how Guatemalan citizen journalists are honing their skills, and find out what's ahead for the Arabic Bloggers Summit. First, though, let's hear about Guatemala. VOS is a citizen journalism training project in which young people in Guatemala aged 16 to 24 learn how to be journalists, how to use tools of the trade, and to have a voice. It's in its pilot stage right now, so here's a taste of some of those journalists in training. My name is Irma Lucrisi. Where do you live? I live in a village called Shokwai. How old are you? I'm 28 years old. Why do you want to work with Boz? Because I like to work with organizations like this one to be a journalist. What have you learned? I've learned how to interview people, to take photos and videos. What do you like most about Boz? I like interviewing people best. What are you going to do for your community with what you have learned? I'm going to teach people. Interview people about what's happened in their communities. So, who is working on this and what is it all about? Cara Andrade of Vos spoke to our own Latin America regional editor Silvia Vinyas about covering the Guatemalan elections and turning a training scheme into a wider network for citizen engagement. Vos is a citizen journalism training project. It started out focusing the election in Guatemala, and so young Guatemalan reporters aged between 16 and 24 were going to be trained to use flip cameras to do reporting before, during, and after the election. Our first training was August 26, almost 50 young reporters from more than 20 municipalities, and they've been covering the elections since then, and they've been submitting longer or shorter features onto the website. What was part of the training? What did you train them on? We had three focuses for the training. The first had to do with fundamentals of reporting, kind of like a boot camp in in terms of journalism reporting. Like The first thing was, was looking at, like, you go from an idea to a story, research story ideas, preparing for interviews, doing interviews, and you know ethics of journalism. And then we got into multimedia tools, uh, how to use tools like flip cameras and their cell phones and voice recorders to do reporting, and then the electoral process in Guatemala. Was there a greater emphasis on one sort of media? Was there a greater emphasis on video, for example? There was, and partly focused a lot on videos because we were able to get YouTube to donate cameras, and, and so a lot of young people were very excited about that. So we focused on video. I think it's also... One of the things with living in a country where a lot of the population, that there's estimates that the population is between 40 and 65% illiterate, video and audio take on a greater significance as far as 
collection of stories and information. So I think video in that way tends to really cater to the needs, the information needs and the way people access information here in Guatemala. There's going to be a runoff election now, right? I mean, neither of the candidates got a majority of the vote. So what happens now with the project? Are the participants still recording before the runoff election? Are they going to be recording or reporting during the runoff election? How is that going to work? The runoff is going to be November 6th, and the the runoff is, is for presidential candidates. And so there's uh, the two candidates are Otto Perez Molina from the Partido Patriota and Manuel Balizón. And so two will run off on the 6th. And at this point, the municipal elections have finished and also the Congress elections have finished. So a lot of people turn out for the first round. And, and it's going to be very interesting to see what that rate is for the second round. The idea was that we were going to use the election as a springboard. So Young people, one of the things that we find in, in a lot of um, the projects that we've done in Alba Central is that there's always like a critical moment where a group of people or, or a group of you know different members from different community or society find a need to start using online tools to address that critical moment, whether it's like some natural disaster, some political disaster. There's this need that, that surges. And so what happened with, uh, with Voss was that we were working with a lot of young people, and they said that they wanted a project where they felt that they could set their own terms for expression and civic engagement. And so that's what came about. Uh, the idea surged about a year ago, and, and a lot of young people were just kind of disgusted with the fact that they were being targeted by marketing and marketers, political marketers, and that they didn't feel like it had a space to actually start articulating some of like their concerns regarding the nation and, and some of the themes that they were confronted with, with violence, um, narco-trafficking, lack of employment. And so they wanted to use the election as their, their first, kind of like the entry, <laughs> the entry step into civic engagement, and it's, and it's a step that a lot of people have to take when first actually start to make a vote. It's the first time we can actually say we're part of something bigger. So, so they're going to be kind of like watchdogs once the runoff is over, now that the municipal elections are over, they're still going to continue reporting. That's essentially the idea, right? I mean, in many ways, what we're looking at doing is setting up a nonprofit that is going to be focused upon creating a network of young journalists who are trained within Guatemala and the larger Central America region to do very local reporting and more investigations. The second part is starting to use the platform like the website com.gt to create tutorials and self-guided, kind of like the Khan Academy has where they have self-guided trainings and they also have you know, accredited, mentored trainings so that young people, and not just young people, but really citizen reporters can start using the website as a way, as a teaching tool for themselves, and they can kind of do these short interactive lessons on how to do certain types of skills, learning skill set around reporting, whether it's like interviewing one-on-one to, you know, using public records and, and all these things that as journalists we learn how to do on the job or we learn in school or both, Right. The other idea is that we start creating as well, and this kind of goes with the network um, database of, of youth organizations in Central America, creating this networked approach to how they deal with bigger themes across the region and, and engagement of young people within uh, around those themes, whether it has to do with uh, combating like environmental disasters and, and prevention, 
and disaster relief to things like, you know, political emergencies, like, you know, president being ousted or, or different things that happen in Central America and impact the whole region. The also is, is going to be looking at uh, being able to recruit mentors and, and other journalists, people, experts who can help uh, young people do these reportings in a very local way. Uh, the third thing that we're really um, hoping will, will come of this as soon as we form our nonprofit is that the platform will become a self-financing platform, which means that once we get this network of young people, of trained young people, they're reporting investigative pieces, that the website will also serve as a way, kind of like Kickstarter or Spot Us, that a young person can propose a story that they want to investigate, you know, how they plan on reporting that, when they plan on turning it in, and then their, um, you know, their ability to report that story, they can actually get funding to report that story. So the idea is to start creating this space that, that is very dynamic uh, in terms of, you know, young reporters' needs and, and their development in, in becoming uh, comunicadores, right, communicators, journalists, or, or being more engaged citizens. And one of the things that's also come out of this is the need to include local languages. And so our, uh, with Voz, we started incorporating Cachiquela because some of the young people wanted to start including their language in the website. So I, I bet you've been able to talk to some of the participants. What do they tell you about all this? We keep in pretty close contact day to day about stories that they are reporting or stories they need help with. We also keep in touch over Skype. Um, so we're starting to also form this interesting decentralized bureau, like very local bureau. And most of them are, are incredibly uh, active and excited about being part of, of this network and, and actually being the axis, like they're kind of like the core at this point. And one of the things that they were to do with the participation in the training in Guatemala City was that they had to go to their communities and replicate what they learned by doing training within their communities to another group of young people. And so they're in that phase now, and we already had two groups contact from um, the training who want to do like their own presentations and their training. And then what we do as a core team is then I go in with two of the reporters and then I add on to the training that they do. If you'd like to check out the VOSS website and more, you can find the links at globalvoicesonline.org. Do you know about the Technology for Transparency Network? The Technology for Transparency Network is a participatory research and mapping project. The aim is to gain a better understanding of the current state of online technology projects that increase transparency, government accountability and civic engagement in Latin America, Sub-Saharan Africa, Southeast Asia, South Asia, China and Central and Eastern Europe. The project is co-founded by Open Society Institute's Information Programme and Omedia Network's Media, Markets and Transparency Initiative. Find out more at globalvoicesonline.org. Another initiative now, and here's a clue to get you thinking about a different way of understanding the web. You will hear a screen reader, Jos, reading the name of the blog in Greek, Radevusa Tifla, in English, Blind Dates, and reading the URL of the blog. Radevusa Tifla, Blind Dates, HTTP, the blind dates, That's a screen reader. 
It's the type of technology that our partially sighted and blind friends might use to find their way online. Alexia Kalithi is in Thessaloniki in Greece. She works as a press officer with a youth NGO and also organises the Blind Dates Project. This is a group blog and web radio show created by blind people in Thessaloniki in northern Greece. Alexia explained how this came about. The idea came on my mind when it was announced that Thessaloniki School for the Blind is about to close one year ago. Media have covered the story very slightly and I understood that people who were directly involved, the students, couldn't say their opinion. So I decided to implement this project in Rising Voices to create a blog where people can express their opinion and empower, in general, the blind community. How does it work? I'm not alone, of course, thank God. I work together with Corina Bragnotti. She's also a graduate from the Department of Journalism. And we also have two partners, the Regional Union of Panhellenic Association of the Blind here in Central Macedonia, and a youth NGO named United Societies of Balkans. It was announced that we are grant, we take the grant. Uh, we've made an open call, participants replied. We've gathered a group of participants, mostly young, aged between 18 to 30. And then we started uh, organizing workshops about journalism techniques, web radio techniques, blogging, social media. We've created the blog, and now we're about to create the web radio. That's fantastic. And so what is different when it comes to a support website and, of course, web radio for blind people? Thanks to technology, there are some screen readers. They provide some text-to-speech capabilities so people can navigate to the web and read the blogs, read the site, write, comment, do whatever they want. So there isn't any serious problem about either blocking or uh, doing a radio program on the web. The problem comes when there are pages with many graphics and it's difficult for the screen reader to read the text. The serious problem is Facebook and other social media because blind people work with screen readers and keyboard shortcuts. And Facebook is, is not very friendly. It's too complicated. So they have to press tab, tab, tab to find a friend, let's say, or to comment. But now there is a team. This is the, the great news. And we had it on our blog. I'm very proud of it. <laughs> there is a, a university team from Greek people who tried to set up a friendlier edition of Facebook only for visually impaired people. Because imagine a 19-year-old child talking with his friends and they talk about Facebook and I've posted this to me. I have a friend request and they cannot participate in the online community. What is being generated on the site then? Is it site specifically for the blind community? So are they adding their own material, which in a way would probably be much better for them than it would be for, say, you or I? I think that this is our special characteristic. There are some uh, website associations for blind people in Greece, but they are not addressed to the rest of society. So for me, it's like the same thing, because we want the blind community to be integrated in the local society. So we've created this group blog where blind people can express their opinions, can express their problems, and they try to approach the rest of society. Like we have a category, a special category in the blog, learn how visually impaired person do blah, blah, blah. And people like that. 
I understand also that you have some very creative people to work with as well. So it's not a matter of just people leaving comments, but making music. Yeah, we have one of our participants is a hip hop singer. One other is a blocker, other are athletes. Yeah, they're very creative people trying to improve the blog all the time and suggest ideas. Blog and radio could be the basis for other things. Does it also provide more support in the way that they will then also find a community there that understands the daily issues that they may be facing? They're a bit embarrassed to write about the everyday problems but now an issue has occurred. A state tried to close the school of phone operators here in Thessaloniki. To be a phone operator is one of the main jobs visually impaired people do in Greece. And so through the blog, we have uploaded posts about it, articles about it. And it was like, we are here, can you support us? This day when we uploaded the articles about the the closure of the of the school phone operators, we had 50, 60 visitors. It's the beginning of the blog. I cannot expect miracles, but it's a good beginning. Because the economy across Europe is quite difficult, as you mentioned, the, the jobs for phone operators and the closure also of a school for the blind, is that part of the broader European economic story? Is it hitting visually impaired communities a lot harder? Of course, every sensitive social group is hit by the financial crisis, especially in Greece. But I think that maybe in the other European countries, rights of these groups are more secured than in Greece. Maybe some of decisions made here with a pretext of financial crisis are against our constitution, but they are done. I think that in the other countries, it's more friendly, their policies. Do you know about Global Voices Lingua? Project Lingua amplifies Global Voices stories in languages other than English with the help of volunteer translators. It opens the line of communication with non-English speaking bloggers and readers of Global Voices by translating content into other languages. Find out more at globalvoicesonline/lingua. Another thing to look forward to at the moment is the third Arabic Bloggers Summit. With so much happening in so many Arabic countries, there's going to be a lot to talk about. Our managing editor, Solana Larsen, had a chat with Sami Ben-Garbia, co-founder of Nawat and Global Voices Advocacy Director, among many other things. They discussed what they plan to get up to at the summit. The third Arab Bloggers Conference will be held in Tunis between the 3rd and the 6th. The first day will be an open day and... Uh, we will invite speakers from our community, from this network of bloggers and from abroad as well to talk about the role of the internet in the Arab world before, during and after what is being called the Arab Spring, what role the internet does and has in those events. The attendees will be selected from the network of Global Voice, the Middle East and North Africa team, some members of the um, Rising Voices Project, authors in Global Voice Advocacy, and also from the main website Global Voices, like the regional editor, Amira, etc. And from the Arab world, I won't call them most prominent bloggers, but 
They are uh, one of the most active in the field of using citizen media, trying to understand new information technology and to adapt it for all kinds of causes, environment, politics, reform, arts, music, etc. Why is it so important for bloggers to meet face-to-face? Most of what they do is online and they're working in entirely different countries, different contexts. What do you hope that they will get out of the meeting? Well, the most important thing, and this is what we've noticed after the first and the second Arab bloggers meetings that were held in Beirut back in 2009 and 7 and 8, that the network has created, uh, has added a human layer to the already existing online relationship. It's not only usernames and names and sometimes pseudonyms that are interacting online, but they get to know each other personally, they become friends, and they share their own experience, how they use it, new information technology, uh, what are their success stories, their failures, and how they can help each other in improving the Arab content online, in translating tools, extension of fireworks, um, Firefox, uh, traduction of blogging platform like WordPress, etc. And also understanding the use of those tools and technology to monitor the governments and to monitor the political establishment and to put for change and to be fully involved in this wave of what we hope is change in the Arab world. With all the uprisings we've seen across the Arab world, how do you think that it will affect the mood and the content of the meeting? What are some of the issues you think will be discussed this year that wouldn't have been topics in previous years? The role of the social web in in the transition period, I think, will be won't be a dominant theme because many other Arab countries didn't go through the same experience as Tunisia and Egypt or Libya and Syria, and we don't want to impose any kind of uh, theme or topic to the entire event. But it will be like access to, to information, open data, open government, how they could or should be implemented in countries like Tunisia, where we already have won a lot of battles. Even the Internet Tunisian Agency is now like not willing to obey the court order that is asking them to block pornographic websites and there is a kind of cohesion between anti-censorship movement in Tunisia and the agency to collaborate on, on this issue and to advocate for it. So those themes will be debated. Also other themes that concerns um, the case of Lebanon or Jordania or, or Mauritania or Somal, etc. As someone from inside the Global Voices Network, I can't help noticing that the previous Arab Blogger Summit happened just a couple of months before social media became a very important factor Mm -hmm. in the uprisings in Tunisia and Egypt and Mm -hmm. and elsewhere as well. Is it completely crazy to think or suggest that the Arab Blogger Summit might have had an impact on what happened? No, no, not directly, no. I think what happened, this revolutionary process in Tunisia and Lebanon has its own local and very deep um, um, causes that that help it create this momentum for change. The internet activism has played a major role in it. I mean, in, in first politicizing the internet sphere in Tunisia and Egypt that were actually shaped and channeled through the, the activism that we've seen in, in Tunisia and in Egypt. And if you take the anti-torture movement in Egypt, 
that started with people like Wael Abbas publishing videos on YouTube, his YouTube account has been cancelled. So you got that very rich experience that not only is dealing with change inside the country, but is dealing with the effect of how company owns the content and how company can cancel your account without your, you know, so the entire debate around uh, internet freedom is, is being lived and experienced by activists and grassroots activists. And the feed like anti-torture movement in Egypt, which galvanizes the masses in 25th of January for the case of we are all Khaled Saeed. It was a campaign that was going on for years, but it culminated in mixing the power that Facebook made available for activists. But the background, the context, the, the sphere was already worked by years of campaigning and advocacy and blog posts and videos. And you find the same in Tunisia where anti-corruption movement, transparency movement online, the use of new information technology to showcase human rights abuses and to showcase the corrupted government and establishment in Tunisia is also to be found in the momentum of the Tunisian revolution. And you find also the battle for internet and free speech. And Ben Ali in his last speech was promising to open the internet. He knew that one of the grievances was censorship and censorship movement in Tunisia as a grassroots movement not related to any uh, political party or civil society NGO has managed to organize the first flash mobs in Tunisia against online censorship in the street using many, many tactics and tools, and they managed to broaden the audience of those who were fighting against censorship. It wasn't only activists, hardcore activists who were there from the beginning, from 2000 and so forth, but artists, musicians, singers, the society itself reacted positively with the anti-censorship battle. And that network in Tunisia, they played a, a good role in organizing a lot of activities on the ground, breaking the wall of fear that started through campaigns, through cartoons and, and satire. And you find both in Tunisia and Egypt. So the network that was there in the two other Arab bloggers meeting, they were very um, important in the case of Tunisia and Egypt, and especially Tunisia, to translate tweets, some articles, to write first-hand articles, to help host content, to raise awareness, to um, share links about Mirror website that were hosting the videos about the event in Tunisia. And they were very vocal in the media. They've gone through a lot of interviews with big media. And they were among this network of people who were attending and will attend this uh, event. I mean, in the past couple of months, we've been interviewed, both of us, all of us from the network, about the role of social media in mm -hmm. the... Arab Spring and all these conferences, you know, what effect does social media have? It's the question on everybody's mind. And I think a lot of us are quite cautious in overstating the claims mm -hmm. of what social media can or can't do. But wouldn't you say that the, the level of ambition among bloggers has grown? Do you think that they feel more empowered now seeing what's happened, even in those countries yeah. that still haven't seen regime change or, or even protests on, on a bigger scale? I don't think not only the bloggers. I mean, when you watch uh, videos coming from what is happening around the Arab world and you hear some people who are taking the, the video, like recording, and their friends like insisting on the fact that you will publish this on Facebook, 
you will publish this on the internet. They are aware why they are using the camera and what they will be doing with the content. They know the power of that internet. Why? Simply because it happened a lot of time or many times and maybe the most used video in Al Jazeera during the Tunisian uprising were coming from Facebook and from blogs aggregator who are curating, translating and putting the, the content available online because it was very hard and very difficult to navigate Facebook to find the content as an international journalist who do not speak Arabic and do not, even if you are Arabic and don't understand the Tunisian dialect, which is written sometimes in, in Latin characters with Arabic words and with street uh, language. It is very hard to understand. It is very hard to access it because you need to identify where it is. So you need to know the pages, the activists, the names, and to know all that and to do your fact-checking, you need to be Tunisians. This is a crucial uh, requirement. And those people were checking the content on Facebook, putting it out, and Al Jazeera used that accuration that is done. So the role of those activists is maybe understanding the gaps that exist between mainstream media in case of they cannot send their foreign correspondent, which was the case in Tunisia how they use the content that is uh, user-generated. So this is, I think, the role of social media in the front of the media coverage and in the front of the organization and mobilization. It, it was an entire other battle, sometimes organized by people who are not involved in the street, the diaspora, the role of the exiled internet in Tunisia. And that front played on the media, international coverage, getting the information into Tunisia and out of Tunisia, and the others are into organizing the people to demonstrate in the street or to alert them about incident, etc. Well, that brings us to the end of another edition of the Global Voices podcast. If you'd like more information about everyone here, then take a visit to our website, globalvoicesonline.org. The Global Voices podcast. The world is talking. I hope you've been listening. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter at Global Voices. You can follow Global Voices stories on Facebook too.